Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, getting past a diagnosis and empowering workers. A big misconception about the autism community is that we don't have empathy, which is, and that's actually not true. We actually feel empathy just like anyone else. Um, in fact, sometimes more than typically developing people. It's just the expression of that empathy um, where things get a little foggy. A recurring theme that we have many times here in the studio is the importance of empathy in our society. We've learned that it's quite literally the glue that can hold a society together, and it can also connect high-performing organizations. But I often wonder, can you really teach empathy? Is it a skill that can be taught and honed through education? Well, our next guest, Vanessa Gill, has created a new social venture, Social Cipher, to do just that. Social Cipher is a great example of the kind of company that can really make a difference. Tell us a bit about Social Cipher, what it's about, and, and how it relates to your own life journey. It starts with actually me and my story. Um, so I was raised by a single mom, and uh, she raised my sister and me all on her own. That was fantastic growing up. Um, I had a really good childhood, but what was really tough was around the time that my mom lost her job uh, when I was 14, I was also diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. As I had gotten my diagnosis, I just was very ashamed and bitter about it. And that was just because of the fact that there wasn't really representation around. Uh, it was mostly male-centered. And because of that, I thought, well, if I'm not supposed to have feelings, if I'm not supposed to engage and have empathy with people, then why even try? I'm not going to engage in that and focus on that. Um, so I sort of shut off my emotions um, for a little while. And that worked. And I was able to just ignore this conundrum of human connection. Um, but when my mom lost her job, uh, it started to get tough. Um, I was one of the only people there for her support. I realized that I needed to have that empathy and I needed to show it to her. A big misconception about the autism community is that we don't have empathy. And that's actually not true. We actually feel empathy just like anyone else. Um, in fact, sometimes more than typically developing people. It's just the expression of that empathy um, where things get a little foggy. So I just remember being in my mom's office uh, with her. She was just staring at this computer screen full of bills that she couldn't pay. And I wanted to do something. I, was, I remember just looking around the room and trying to find some kind of logical solution to what her pain, to her pain. But I couldn't find anything. Uh, and it was frustrating and it made me want to explode. And I just wanted to help in some way, but I couldn't. And, you know, of course, the only, the logical and easiest thing to do would have been to just go up to her give her a hug and tell her everything was gonna be okay. But I just could not find the words and the ways to do that. So the next day I ended up asking her to help me train my social skills. Um, but without the money and time for therapy, she and I had to get really creative. So we'd turn every one of our outings into this new social puzzle. So we would go out and have these conversations with people and she'd have me report back and say, all right, what did this facial expression mean? What did this tone of voice mean? How did this work? We would connect that with music, which I was able to extract a lot easier um, emotionally than a human face. Um, and we would put that together with movie scenes. So I created this sort of mental database in my head um, that I could play back and use in any social situation. And uh, over six years of me just practicing and learning social skills like it was another language, um, I sort of looked back. I was a junior in college and I was just sort of uh, zoning out on my college reading. And I thought about how far I had come and how loved I had become and just how much more confident I had become in myself. I wasn't ashamed of my diagnosis anymore. Um, 
I realized that it was the superpower that allowed me to connect things the way I did. But then I looked back and I thought about all of these other kids that may not have had the resources um, and the time and money just like I did. Um, and I thought, what about them? And so that's kind of how Social Cipher began. Um, and it's a social venture. And now you have this gamification, this this technology that it sounds like you've taken the years that you and your mother worked together and you've reduced to something that anybody can access. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So we found that there were three needs in the autism therapy community um, that weren't being met. One of them was retaining engagement outside of the, ther of the therapy office um, for these kids. Um, it takes a lot of parent and child effort uh, outside of the office to retain the things they learn in therapy. Um, and if that's not an engaging thing, these kids don't feel comfortable um, and they don't feel ready to learn. Uh, the other thing was empowerment. So giving these kids, kids the self-determination to use their social skills and their newly learned things in the outside world. Um, giving them the representation they need uh, to be able to say, hey, I know these people with autism. They're doing great. And that means I can do great too. So as you take a look at this platform and you think about it, how do you look at people who have the innate ability to feel empathy and don't use it? In business, especially in business, a lot of the time, many people in the world could be using a whole lot more empathy. I think our direct work with kids and families in the autism community and being able to build trust with them, being able to see how they live their daily lives and what daily frustrations they face helps us make a game that actually meets these families' needs. We're not just going to a moot point and creating this fake thing for a fake solution for a fake problem. Mm -hmm. um, I think it can help you be more productive in your business, understanding the needs of your people, just for the sake of understanding them. There are so many rewarding moments I have where, you know, my interviews of families and parents turn into these 45 minute things where we just talk about, you know, am I being a good parent? Is everything okay? And me just sort of reassuring them the fact that you care and that you're empathetic is what is going to drive these kids and ultimately make them successful. You are doing fine. Um, and that's just such an incredibly rewarding thing that I would never really be able to get without being empathetic with people and being able to express that empathy. You know, I love that you've taken all this energy and you're doing a social venture. And I love what's going on over at Housing, where I know you're, you're working their program. What's the biggest difference between a for-profit and a, a social venture? I think the biggest difference between just a normal for-profit and social venture is when times get really tough, when your team has trouble, when profits aren't too great, when things are just kind of like spiraling out of control, when you are at the bottom and just hitting rock bottom, the thing that brings you back up and keeps you moving is these kids, these people that you're working for, the things they've said to you, you know, after a test, we, we do these little puppet shows. And I remember one of the first little girls we tested with told us she loved us so much and that she was just so happy. And those smiles, just remembering that, that's what gets you out when things are just horrible. Uh, as we think about social cipher, we think about your life journey. You're a great example, I think, of an entrepreneur who takes personal experience brings together work a problem, and then your passion, you're actually making a material difference in thousands of people's, tens of thousands of people's lives. Vanessa, it was great having you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was Vanessa Gill, Social Safe. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. You know, we often think that entrepreneurs fly solo when they start a new business. But actually, many businesses are started by multiple co-founders, sometimes as many as four to five. That's big love. 
These relationships are like a business marriage and like complex marriages often need a prenup, but are frankly about as popular to talk about as a prenup among a couple planning their marriage. The co-founder's agreement is a critical but often avoided in the excitement of starting this new venture. And that agreement must address critical issues such as ownership, governance, decision-making, capital contributions, capital calls, transfer of the equity. You really owe an obligation to each other as well as to your families and even to coworkers and future employees to put some agreement in place that will articulate and define all of these rights. And the big ones, no one wants to talk about. I'm talking about the big Ds. And that's not the Dallas Cowboys, folks. These are the big Ds that come up in a co-founder's agreement. Yep, here they are. Death, disability, divorce, dysfunctionality, dissolution, disagreements, dispute resolution, disloyalty, and disengagement. They all happen. I've been doing this for 30-plus years, and I've seen all kinds of disputes among co-founders. So if there's one thing I want you to take away, it's get it in writing and get it right. If 50% of our personal marriages wind up in divorce, why would you think that the data is any less likely in a business marriage, especially when it's lacking the love and passion? That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Thank you to our sponsor, Tedco. Tedco invests in early stage tech and life science companies. It provides resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. Tedco's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.tedco.md. And a thank you to our sponsor, JLL. JLL is the leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving the technology, government contracting, and professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. Thank you to Speakerbox Communications. Speakerbox is your team for meeting the unique demands of the technology sector, crystallizing complex ideas, targeting highly intelligent buyers, and moving at the speed of tech. Since 1997, they've given voice to many of our industry's top thinkers and performers. Check them out at speakerboxpr.com. And thanks to our sponsor, Tandem Product Academy. If you're looking to grow a software technology business and you're past your first five employees, or your first half a million dollars in revenue, their free educational program will teach you how to grow your business. Supported by a broad group of our region's leading business organizations and local governments, Tandem Product Academy is free to participants. Learn more at tandeminnovate.com. Thank you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two DC region bands, Two Car Living Room and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.